0: Hi, I'm Annika, I'm 19 years old and I'm studying PPE at Karlshochschule.
1: Hey, I'm Jonathan, I'm also 19 years old and I'm studying CCE at Karlshochschule. And yes, we are both in our first semester and we are now doing our very first podcast and we want to talk about algorithms and the filter bubble. So yeah, have fun and enjoy it!
0: Everyone is hopefully aware of the fact that our daily consumption of news and opinions and information happens mainly online and that this online content heavily influences our opinions and values and beliefs. That's what we want to talk about today. So Jonathan, let's start with your personal example.
1: Yes, uh, for me personally, I think my main online platform is Instagram and I think many of you can relate to that. And when on Instagram, I see, yeah, I see a lot of different persons, pictures, posts, stories, whatever. And uh, I mean, they are in a specific order from my feed. on the top, there are posts. I'm more likely to see the posts on the top. So yeah, there's a specific order and we will have a look at this order later on.
0: My personal example I chose is YouTube because I guess that's the main platform I use. Um, And, yeah, it just seems that there are endless videos about things I'm interested in, and these get recommended to me. So I'm always tempted to click on one more video and one more and just one more. Um, So, yeah, but who or what decides what, what we see there and what gets recommended to us, either on Instagram or on YouTube or any other social media platform or online platform? And, yeah, how are these feeds and recommendations created? The answer is algorithms do that, and Jonathan will tell us how they work and what they are basically.
1: Yes, algorithms. I think the most of you have I probably heard this term, but um, most of the people don't really know what is an algorithm exactly. Um, to be very simple, an algorithm is basically a set of rules that precisely defines a sequence of operations, um, and we can compare it to yeah, a recipe. For example, if you want to cook like a lasagna, then we have to yeah follow a recipe with several steps leading us to our outcome, our lasagna. Um, and each step follows follows another step and is clearly defined is understandable for us. And in the end, we get our product, our lasagna. Um, and uh, to be more formal, the yeah, kind of formal definition of an algorithm is it is a finite sequence of well-defined computer implementable instructions, typically to solve a class of problems or to perform a computation. Um, and also there are certain characteristics of algorithms. For example, they are unambiguous, which means they are precisely defined. As for our recipe, each step is yeah clearly defined and understandable for us. Also, they are finite, which means they are describable within a finite amount of words or symbols, numbers, whatever. Um, for example, with our recipe, um, the recipe is yeah described with finite amounts of word, of text. Um, so the recipe is like one or two pages and not much. Not, not more than this. Also, they are terminating. This means that at some point they come to an end. They give us an output. Um, for the recipe, this would be our lasagna. So in the end, we get our lasagna. Another feature is that they are deterministic, which means that every step is followed by one and only one other step. So it is not random which steps um, are, yeah, are chosen. And the last feature of an algorithm is that algorithms are determined, not to be confused with deterministic, but determined, meaning that the same input always creates the same output. Now, the thing is that contemporary algorithms are often black boxes, so-called black boxes. What does it mean? It means that it's it's not clear anymore uh, what is going on inside these algorithms. Contemporary algorithms are configured by artificial intelligence and machine learning and by that it is not clear anymore how the output was exactly reached so the certain steps inside the algorithm can't be followed exactly by humans Um, now coming to algorithms in social media in social media algorithms are usually designed to improve the user experience and to bind the user for as long as possible to the medium. So the algorithms behind Instagram, for example, wants us to yeah really enjoy the time we spend on Instagram, to like the content we see, and to also yeah um, bind us to Instagram and have a long duration where we are on Instagram. So um, the algorithm wants, wants us to scroll, 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 and scroll even more because more scrolling means more ads, more advertising, and in the end, more money for the social media platform for Instagram. Um, And with that intention in mind, with that motivation in mind, the algorithm prioritizes content that is likely to be interesting for us, for the users. And why is that a problem? The answer is filter bubbles. And Annika is going to talk about that.
0: So yeah, what are filter bubbles? And particularly, why are they so dangerous? So in an online environment, algorithms tend to show and prioritize content that you already agree with or that you've already shown an interest in. That's the uh, what I liked will show up again thing. So this filter of content creates a virtual bubble around you where only selected content is inside this bubble and other content is outside. This creates a so-called echo chamber um, and in there, voices and texts that echo users' views, um, sources that confirm users' beliefs and political leaders that amplify users' fears are shown. Um, This can have positive and negative aspects, but you have to be aware of them and handle them with caution because these filter bubbles might make you less open-minded or restrict you in the ability to see things from different perspectives. And they tend to solidify and perhaps even radicalize your your opinions. That's a so-called feedback loop. Yeah, so as I said, these aspects need to be handled with caution. Um, we would like to add here that the internet itself is value-free. So we, the users, are the ones giving the information meaning and, and value. Um, yeah. However, it is important to keep in mind that algorithms create a distorted image of the public discourse. And because of that, we want to go in more depth about the societal and political implications of filter bubbles and why they can be seen as a threat to democracy.
1: Yeah, thank you. And I'm going to talk about this again. Um, as Annika said, some people say these algorithms, how they work, how they create filter bubbles, echo chambers, um, that they are a threat to democracy. So let's maybe first have a look at yeah, what really constitutes a strong democracy. We thought about the discourse. I think democracy lives from a strong discourse and the exchange of opinions, also clashing opinions. So opinions that clash with each other and now a distorted discourse and one sided information as it is within these echo chambers can indeed threaten this strong democracy because they distort the the discourse and provide one sided information. Um, And one major point of concern usually is around the interplay of trust, truth and democracy. So trust, truth and democracy are now the the areas where we will have a closer look at. Uh, We want to start with fake news and conspiracy theories. Fake news and conspiracy theories have a very popular appeal because they really address fundamental fears and issues. And they often provide simple solutions for exactly those issues. They draw a clear picture of hostility Like, okay, this group of people, they're bad, Illuminati, the politicians, corruption. And this is some kind of orientation for us. This is why fake news and conspiracy theories at first hand are so popular. Now, the other thing is that once we slide into these echo chambers into a specific filter bubble, this echo chamber can radicalize these false beliefs as it is with fake news or conspiracy theories. So, yeah, we go ever, ever further down the spiral of fake news. Another point is political decision making and selective perception. This phenomenon is problematic for our political decision making, primarily because we tend to trust information that we expect. This is the psychological phenomenon of selective Perception. In extreme cases, this can lead to yeah, people that believe false reports, for example, about crimes that were committed by migrants. And they tend to believe those false reports rather than the fact-based uh, research of yeah, a daily newspaper or a scientific um, journalistic newspaper.
0: Another implication we want to mention here is that big tech companies gain more and more power and influence. So in the age of globalization now, especially, they gain not just like economical influence and power, but because they are so powerful, they have a certain political influence. And that's a dangerous combination. They can influence people a lot. Just think about Twitter and Facebook and even like not, Only uh, the ones involved in social media or online. All the big companies, all the um, car advertisements you see, they influence you a lot. And not necessarily political, but it's possible. So uh, the next point we want to mention here is the impact of surveillance capitalism. So... Um, we speak about big data and the personalization of information here. The ultimate fear is that the platforms have amassed so much power that they could sway an election, or uh, yeah, either deliberately or unwittingly. So, a specific example here would be Donald Trump. Just think about how many people he can reach with, let's stay with the Twitter example here. Um, Donald Trump just has to find a, a filter bubble or an echo chamber where people are guided in in his direction. So, for example, someone researching about climate change finds more and more articles about that climate change is a myth or that humans are not responsible for it and he or she gets deeper and deeper in this filter bubble and yes yeah, certainly this person is a part of the filter bubble now donald trump for example um a very influential politician can target the people in this filter bubble and contact them directly for example via twitter and furthermore to combine the last two aspects of big techs and um, political influence many big tech firms are huge sponsors in political campaigns for example google was one of the main sponsors of joe biden's campaign so not just online they have a big influence but also in the real world so let's talk about the gatekeeper or the editor role of corporations like for example facebook we all know that Facebook is already actively intervening in um, publications. So Facebook decides what you see on their page and what you don't see or on their website. And that's kind of, you can call this role a gatekeeper or if you compare it to newspapers, this would be the editor. But I, for my part would not be, or I am not comfortable with um, having, for example, Facebook decide what I see and what I don't see. So you have to think about that.
1: Exactly. I mean, there's legitimacy missing. I mean, why should these big companies and the CEOs of, for example, Twitter decide about this content and if it's shown or not? If no, they have zero legit- uh, legitimacy. The next point is that all of this that was said now, it is a global phenomenon. In the internet is an international space, um, but so far, it yeah, really follows only the domestic, the national laws. For example, um, in the US and in Europe, the, the censorship or the, yeah, the monitoring of content is handled differently. And China, for example, as an extreme example, uh, forbids social media platforms at all, or yeah, at, to a certain extent. And what we all can agree, I guess, is that we need international consensus about those topics, about privacy law, about big tech, um, big techs and their power, um, about um, the censorship rules and editor roles of big techs. We need international consensus. Because it was kind of naive to believe that technology would strengthen democratic institutions or that it wouldn't have an impact at all. I mean, technology companies do not necessarily seek to improve democracy as most companies and also technology companies at first hand seek to make a lot of money. That's as simple as it is. Um, and there's one quote by Jonathan Morgan. He is a senior design researcher with the Wikimedia Foundation. He said, I'm primarily concerned with three things. The first one is the use of social media by interested groups to spread this information in a strategic coordinated fashion with the intent of undermining people's trust in institutions and or convincing them to believe things that aren't true. The second is the role of proprietary closed platforms run by profit-driven companies in disseminating information to citizens, collecting information from and also about citizens and engaging political stakeholder groups. And the third thing is the growing role of surveillance by digital platform owners, as well as by state actors and the increasing power of machine learning powered surveillance technologies for capturing and analyzing data because those threaten the public's ability to engage safely and equitably in civic discussions. All right. This was a very long quote, but I think those three aspects, aspects that uh, Jonathan Morgan mentioned kind of um, summarize what, what our concerns were and what we mentioned earlier. So what can we do about it? Well, let's have a look at some, possible solutions, some future perspective and I would like to hand over to Annika again.
0: Yeah, thanks Jonathan. I'd like to start with the most recent example we got here, which would be Twitter banning Donald Trump completely from their platform. And when I heard about this, I'd ask I asked myself, is this the right way to act upon this? Because as I mentioned before, that's kind of an Really extreme example of this gatekeeper-editor role. So it all started with critics calling upon Twitter to suppress or fact-check President Donald Trump's misleading tweets. And as we all know, they did, and some of his tweets were marked or banned. And um, yeah, now it developed into banning him completely. Is it is it all right to give large platforms like Twitter or Facebook um, the, the role of such a regulator here? Um, because pressuring large platforms to perform that function can't be a long-term solution. Because why would they fulfill this function and especially why would they fulfill it in the public interest or with the public interest in mind? This is not a long-term solution to just rely on the big tech firms here. Um first to to look at the legal side of this because you might not think that but it's completely legal for Twitter to ban Donald Trump. According to the first amendment, um governments are not allowed to censor anything, but private businesses are not mentioned here or there's no law forbidding private businesses to censor. So yeah, the First Amendment basically says that no private forum is required to publish anyone's speech. And an important quote I would like to mention here is the president can't block people from his social media accounts based on their political views, but basically Twitter can ban people from its platform for pretty much whatever reason it wants to. Back to back, I would like to add another quote here by Kate Rouane, a ACLU lawyer. And she says, President Trump can turn to his press team or Fox News to communicate with the public. But others like um, the many black, brown or LGBTQ plus activists who have been censored by social media companies, they will not have that luxury. So even though Trump is banned from Twitter, doesn't mean that he has no channel to communicate with his followers anymore. He's, after all, a pretty influencing and powerful, powerful person. And yeah, so important to keep in mind here is that Trump acts as an official politician here and not as a private user. Um, yeah, to sum up or to end this, this point, um I would like to add that the internet should follow the same rules as the the public space. So there should be a freedom to express one's opinion and there should be no censorship. But of course there are limits and incitement to violence is among them. The next point here a possible solution would be governments that are actively investigating in technology firms. For example, the justice department Department, which filed an antitrust suit against Google. And then there are four possible solutions, which have their pros and cons, but we would like to mention them here briefly. For other possible solutions, so first one would be to break up the big techs. So all the data would be, quote unquote, free again, and can be distributed again. The second one would be data portability this basically means that users can take their data and move the data to different platforms however they like third third one is the progressive shared data mandate this means that big companies are forced to share the data with smaller companies in order for them to develop so imagine a little startup and they need data that only google has and Right now Google is not Google does not have to, to share this data with this this little startup, which means that the startup has little to no choice of surviving or developing. And with this um progressive shared data mandate, Google would be inclined to share not all data, but the data needed here. The fourth option here would just to leave it as it is. That's As I said, these options are debatable and have their pros and contra arguments each. So, Jonathan will introduce another solution.
1: The Middle West solution. Um, Yeah, what you said, uh, the fourth option, leave it as it is, I think is quite not the best to choose, as we are seeing right now, with uh, all the discussion about uh, Trump's Twitter ban, that regulations are far from perfect. Um, There's a solution that is, yeah, kind of um, not that present in the discourse, and it is the middleware solution. Um, And I want to um, refer to an article in Foreign Affairs um, that kind of defines this middleware solution. The article states, middleware is generally defined as the software that writes on top of an existing platform and can modify the presentation of underlying data added to current technology platforms services middleware could allow users to choose how information is curated and filtered for them so the users can choose users would select middleware services that would determine the importance and veracity of political content and the platforms would use those determinations to curate what those users so uh yes, and also what these middleware solutions um could do is that the software could, for example, also add labels to news articles or tweets or Instagram posts or whatever, such as misleading, unverified, or lacks context, as Twitter has recently done with Trump's post specifically. Um Now the the important aspect here is that each middleware provider would be required to be transparent. Transparent in its offerings and also technical features so that the users could make an informed decision, an informed choice. Because as we've mentioned quite earlier, the algorithms, the contemporary algorithms are not transparent. They are black boxes made by artificial intelligence. Now, to look at yeah some some kind of the contra side uh, one danger would be to give the middleware providers too much power which would then not solve the problem but just yeah shift the problem to other actors so the middleware again uh, the middleware companies again would have too much power or would yeah really have tremendous power and political influence and so the problem is there again there's another question that is yeah, yet to be answered, and it is how those middleware companies would finance themselves. Big techs, they earn their money yeah, primarily from advertisements, um, and they are certainly not interested in sharing their earned money from advertisements with those middleware providers, um, but those providers somehow need to earn money too, of course. Now, coming back to the filter bubbles and echo chambers, however, this problem would not necessarily be solved by the middleware solution. I mean, filter bubbles are somehow also naturally human. I mean, everyone has some interests and is interested in a specific set of things. And every human being is then unlikely to consume information or, or opinions that challenge your own opinions, if you know what I mean. So the, the phenomenon of filter bubbles is kind of yeah omnipresent for, for human beings. Now, the First Amendment envisioned a marketplace uh, of ideas where competition rather than regulation protected public discourse. Um, but using middleware would not prevent hate speech or conspiracy theories from circulating. But it would limit their scope in a way that's, yeah, perhaps better aligned with the original intent of the First Amendment. All right. Those were some possible solutions, some future perspectives. And also, this is kind of the last main main yeah, aspect of our podcast today. So we would like to come to some conclusions, some takeaways for you. And I hand over to Annika again.
0: Yeah, great. So let's come to an to an end here. We would like to uh, um, to include here um, a bit of our situation too, because at the moment, of course, we are online students, and um, so the whole thing we just explained and spoke about is even more present for us because we are more present in this online sphere and we are online for most of the day or for a lot of hours at least and yeah and the ma- the, the complete public discourse or uh, the main part of it has shifted to the online environments um we would also like to add here that the speed reach and complexity of the internet is increasing so these are all points um exaggerating the the problem here for takeaways we would like to say that we would just like to make you aware of these filter bubbles you can't it's debatable if you are actively if it's actively possible to withdraw yourself completely from them but at least be aware of them the picture that resonates within the internet we must not be the realistic perspective of society's discourse. In terms of echo chambers, that means that your own opinion is strengthened there through algorithms because they show you content that you're most likely to like, read, and repost, etc. So, yeah, again, here the problem of radicalization and polarization and also the danger of populism increases here. For, yeah, as you
1: see with Donald Trump, for
0: example. Yeah. Yeah, right. For political solutions, we mentioned a few here, but in general, they are about transparency and privacy. So more transparency and privacy, um, such as, or solutions such as middleware and data protection and the shared data mandate would be options here. And yeah, last takeaway would be that not everything is bad or negative. It just depends on a mindful usage on the tools you have. And for this mindful usage, we would like to give you a challenge now that we are at the end of our first episode and last episode of our podcast (laughs) here. So Jonathan, go ahead with the challenge.
1: Exactly. So let's come to a kind of interactive part. Um, As it was said, it is most likely that you are shown content on Instagram, on Twitter, on everything. is kind of from a one-sided perspective and fits your opinion fits your interests so our challenge is that you actively consume content that doesn't match your opinion so to be more specific read two articles this week that you disagree with at first sight so maybe you come across yeah two articles uh, and you read the headline and you think oh what a bullshit is this i don't agree with that um but please Read the articles, um, and perhaps you will get a, a new perspective, a fresh perspective on things that you, yeah, didn't believe you would get this other perspective of. Um, and if you want to, if you want to take it a step further, you can also try to uh, quote unquote fool the algorithm. Um, by liking and commenting on posts that you disagree with or that you yeah, just wouldn't like usually. And so the algorithm kind of re- reconfigures some of the parameters. And yeah, maybe there's some new content shown to you that wouldn't be shown to you usually. All right. With that being said, this marks the end of our podcast, actually. I think it was a lot of fun to do this. Um, and I really, really, really hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, as we've said, we are two students from Karlsruhe, which is a university in Karlsruhe in Germany. Um, and yeah, we came across this whole topic of, of algorithms and of digitalization in general, combined with kind of the, the ethical aspect. And we really found it interesting to talk about this. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Annika, some last words?
0: <laughs> I can just agree here. It was a lot of fun doing it. Real challenge also. And thanks so much for listening. And I hope you had fun and could, could get some useful information here.